Happy Father's Day. And open up your Bibles, please, to Matthew chapter 25. Today, what we value, part six, Christ honoring service. And the idea is how can we wisely steward the time that God gives us for gospel purposes? Now, we are expert at wasting time, are we not? 13 years ago, February 4th, 2004, Mark Zuckerberg founded Facebook with a dream that people would spend as much time as they could at his website. And so today, Facebook users squander more than $3.5 trillion annually in productivity, spending time on his website. So it worked. But it's easier for us to post than to produce. And it's a microcosm of all the ways we waste time. Missed opportunities, neglected relationships, squandered moments, unappreciated privileges, unused benefits. We are people of missed deadlines and two brief conversations and half-eaten burritos. We're too busy. We throw away time, we throw away people, and we throw away food. So how can we spend our time wisely for what matters? That's what we're going to see today. So please stand to honor God's word as I read it. I'm going to read Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. I believe with all my heart that these moments can be life-altering. We trust God's spirit to do God's work in God's people through the spirit and the word. So hear the word. Or it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sowed and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given. And he will have an abundance. From the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth.
And Lord, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence with us. And we do pray that this, this time would be life-changing as your spirit does whatever work you want to do in us and through us for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. parable of the talents is found only in Matthew's gospel. And the main point is this. We must faithfully work for Christ as we watch and wait for his return. We must serve and fulfill our duty and redeem time for Jesus and the gospel. Cling to Christ and scripture. Serve his purposes until he returns. We have been focused on our values as a church, and I just want to say God gives us our values. We don't dream them up. We don't base them on worldly wisdom. They're firmly anchored in God's word, and our values drive our actions. And mission drift is dangerous and common. There are riptides and undercurrents of falsehood that we must watch out for, and we must firmly hold to our values. Hebrews 2.1 says we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. And so our values are anchored in who Jesus is and what he does and what he will do. And today we're looking at Christ honoring service, and we're going to follow the same outline we've been following in the last several weeks. Why we value it, what are the barriers, how can we grow? The reason why we value Christ honoring service is because God expects it and enables it. It's part of following Christ. We faithfully work for Christ as we watch and wait for his return. Now, we have been writing pithy paragraphs, uh, theologically rich, practically applicable paragraphs for each one of these values, and here is what we have for Christ honoring service. Every Christian is called to serve the Lord with gladness from the heart, using gifts given by the Spirit, serving God's purposes in Christ with the strength God supplies. Stewarding God-given resources, following Christ's example. Our service is to honor God who deserves all praise and not ourselves. Christ-honoring service is self-forgetting sacrifice. Wisely using God's gifts for gospel purposes, serving one another as good stewards of God's very grace, counting others as more significant than ourselves. Because God deserves wholehearted, unreserved service however he designs and leads and enables. Now today we're looking at the parable of the talents, it's very well known, and I want you to take a little bit of a run up here and see the context. It's part of the Olivet Discourse in Matthew's Gospel. I spent, what, five years going verse by verse through Matthew's Gospel, we did that several years back. But we're in Matthew's Gospel today, and, and the Gospel is structured in such a way that Jesus' public ministry is sandwiched between two really long discourses. First, the Sermon on the Mount in, verse, in chapters 5 through 7, and then the Olivet Discourse in chapters 24 and 25. And here in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus is sitting in the Mount of Olives, speaking with his disciples, answering their questions about the end of the age, about his return. And it's chock full of parables. Sermon on the Mount has one, like, three-verse parable. This one is like a box of raisin bran. It's full of plump, juicy parables here, and, and they appear one after another in rapid-fire succession. 
You've got the carcass and the vultures, the fig tree, the master of the house, the wise and evil servants, the wise and foolish bridesmaids, the talents, and then the sheep and the goats. And the talents is part of really a trio of parables that, that link together. You got the parable of the servants that teach us the folly of thinking that the Lord will not return soon. You got the parable of the bridesmaids, which shows us the folly of presuming that he will come soon. And the talents, which basically says no matter what, you need to be working faithfully regardless of when he returns. Don't worry about the timing. That's God's prerogative, and we need to be working for Christ faithfully no matter what the timing is. Again, the main point of this parable is we must faithfully work and for Christ as we watch and wait for Christ's return. You work, you serve, fulfill your duty, not disengaged, you know, not buying a compound somewhere out in the middle of nowhere and waiting it out, but fully engaged in life. Working daily for Christ with an eye on the horizon, knowing that he can return at any moment. This is what a believer does. It's what we're called to do. I want to point out five things about this parable that I want you to notice with me. It will drive really the way we go with this and the way we apply it. What does it actually say? I want you to notice, first of all, that this parable is about God's kingdom in Christ. Not the inward kingdom of the heart, but the outward visible kingdom until Christ returns that contains true and false believers. People that are saying they're believers, but some are true and some are false. Look with me at verse 14. It says very clearly, it is like, if you go back in, in the chapter, you'll notice it's about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a man going on a journey. The kingdom of God is being compared here to a man on a journey who entrusts his property to his servants. So you need to notice that first. It's going to drive everything about this parable. The second thing I want you to notice is it's the prerogative of the man here representing Jesus to give what is his own. He gave to each a huge responsibility according to ability. Look at verse 15. To one he gave five talents, another two, another one. We immediately think, oh, that's all the gifts God gives you. But this is a bit different, and you need to understand what a talent is. A talent, there biblically, was not a coin, it was not currency. It was a very heavy unit of weight. It, uh, for example, the gold menorah in the temple weigh, weighed a talent. It was very heavy. A Greek talent was 60 pounds. A Babylonian talent was about 70. So we're talking a, a really heavy lump of silver or gold so one talent if you think you know the one with one got shortchanged one talent was a huge estate there's a lot of gold a lot of silver now our word talent comes from this parable right from this parable and we we use that term as a skill or ability so it's very easy for us to think well that's what this is all about People think it means the gifts God gives us, and, and that's not a bad connection to make, really, if you think about it. Um, everything we are able to do comes from God as a stewardship. We have a duty to put our talents to good use for his honor and fame, so that's, that's a, a good thought. But the talents here are not simply gifts that God gives, but a larger focus that includes the gift God gives. What they are are gospel opportunities 
Opportunities to hear the gospel, and then opportunities to receive the gospel, and then opportunities to give the gospel to others in need. This is what this is talking about. Now, the master is giving to each according to his ability. God knows what you can handle. We all have a reputation. You have a reputation, and some of your reputations are deserved, some are unfair, but you are perfectly known by God. God knows what you can handle. And so he gives according to ability. He entrusts according to ability, and to whom much is given, much will be required. Those of us that have had lots of opportunity to hear the gospel and to receive it and to give it out will be required. We're going to be called to account for what we have done with what has been entrusted to us. So I want you to notice that, that it's the prerogative of Christ to give this huge gospel responsibility to whomever he will. Now, notice the third thing with me. What this parable is telling us is that Christ's servants must be busy serving his purposes. So the master goes away. He's not going to be seen for a while. He doesn't have like a round-trip ticket that they know when he's going to land. He is going to show up at any moment. Verse 16 says now that he who received the five talents, and he receives the five talents, very heavy, uh, literally heavy you know, lumps of silver and gold, goes at once, immediately, and, and starts working with what he has been given. He's trading and says he makes five talents more. We don't know when those five talents were made. We just know that this is what happens, right? Verse 17, the one who has two, makes two talents more. So they're getting to work for the master, not themselves. You know, remember, this is not primarily about using your gifts for God. The scope is, is bigger, so you need to think bigger with me on this. It includes the idea of using gifts for God, but it is, this is about stewarding the gospel and living a life of service to God as a result. Diligently working for Christ as you watch and wait for him to return. And it's not merely what you do for Jesus. We, we think about like, well, I, you know, God gave me this and I'm doing this for Jesus. It's not really what you do for Jesus, it's what you do with Jesus. The life you live that proves that you belong to him or not. So notice, again, that this is about Christ's servants being busy serving his purposes. Okay, now notice the fourth, fourth thing with me, verse 18. It's telling us something about unbelievers that are mixed in with believers until Christ returns. You know, you've got the, the wheat and the weeds. You've got the, the sheep and the goats. It tells us that, believe, uh, that unbelievers take selfish advantage of the master's absence. Verse 18, in contrast with the good stewards. So he who received the one talent basically you know, gets a shovel, digs a hole, hides the talent in the ground. You know, when the cat's away, the mice will play, and this mice hid the money. Now, what did true believers do? True believers offer their lives as living sacrifices to God, serving the Lord with all their heart. The Bible doesn't give us any picture of a half-hearted believer. You're either all in with Jesus or you're not. The Lordship of Christ is very clear in the Bible. If you're not all in with Jesus, you're not with Jesus. Here's what, and, and what Jesus said is, whoever doesn't gather with me scatters. You're either working with me or against me. So unbelievers mixed in with believers take selfish advantage of the master's absence. 
And then notice one more thing, a fifth thing about this parable, verse 19. What it's telling us is that stewardship has consequences, that judgment is coming. Verse 19, after a long time, the master came to settle accounts with the servants. Again, they didn't know when it was going to be. The two you know, previous parables are saying, you do not know the day or the hour. And then this parable is saying, so you don't know the day or the hour. You keep working until he returns or he takes you home, whichever comes first. So after a long time, the master came to settle accounts with the servants. This is Christ's return. And there have been two faithful and one not. Remember, this is a parable here. Verse 20 we start with the one that got five talents, he got the most, and he comes forward, he brings the, the other five, he brings all 10, and he says, Master, you delivered to me five talents, and he offers it all to him. He's offering it to God. He says, I've made five more. The response of the master is wonderful. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. These are words that believers want to hear from Jesus. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. This is a picture of heaven. So verse 22, the one with the two talents comes forward, saying, Master, you gave me two talents. I made two more. Same response, verse 23, same response. Master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Same reward. And you notice there's no ego here. They're saying it's because of you, and this is for you. You're the source of our privileges. You're the source of the opportunities we gave. We did five more. We did two more. This is faithful work. Now, Jesus' response is notable. Well done, good and faithful servant. Literally, excellent. Inherently good and genuine and reliable. But what he's saying is, not that you did well, not good job, not attaboy, but you are well, good. You are good. You are trustworthy. You, are, you, are, you have character shaped by God. He's commenting on their character, not their actions, their character. So faithful service to Jesus will render a five-star rating from God. You'll get the incorruptible crown of righteousness, it's going to give, be given to all who have loved his appearing. Where you can't wait for Jesus to return and, and that you, you can't wait to show him what he enabled you to do and offer it all to him. It's like seeing your parents after being away at college. They paid your way, you worked really hard, and you did well. You can't wait to tell them. Now, some of us didn't do that. But some people do. And then we get to verse 24, and the tone just completely changes. He who received the one talent comes forward, and, and he says what he's saying in an accusatory manner, very disrespectful. He says, you're a hard man. You reap where you don't sow. You gather where you scatter no seed. And he's, he's accusing the master. Verse 25, he says, so I was afraid. And so I hid your talent in the ground here. And you can, you can just hear the disdain and the contempt. Here's what is yours. You have it back. Now, what he says about the master, he's complaining. He's accusing the master of expecting too much. What he's giving is a lie. It was the master's right, by the way, to give to whomever he wishes and to demand whatever he wishes. But the lie is an excuse to cover the, the, the servant's laziness. And the master's response, verse 26, 
you, you wicked and slothful servant. And he's telling him in verse 27, if I was really like that, you should have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I would have received it at least with interest. It's like, you heard this about me? You heard this is what I do? Well, if that's the case, you should have done something different. And so he says in verse 28, take the talent from him, give to the one who has the ten. The talent is given to the good steward. This matches right up with Matthew 13, 12, which really are the same words that are in verse 29. To one who has, more will be given, will have an abundance. To one who has not, what he has will be taken away. The false will be proven false. Empty. You have nothing. This is telling us is that if we fail to use the gospel privileges we've been given and the resources that we've been given for the Lord while he's away from us in heaven, we're going to be shown to be false and lose everything when he comes again. We've got to take it to heart. Verse 30, in the strongest words possible, the master says, cast the worthless servant. So he's not just wicked and slothful, but also worthless. Cast him in outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And you know that describes hell. A real place. And what you've got here are two servants who honored the master, one that dishonored the master. Two servants are ones that faithfully worked as they watched and waited for the return. And if you're a believer today, you must faithfully work for Christ as you watch and wait for his return. No matter what time it is, no matter if if it's later than you think or earlier than you think, that's Christ-honoring service. And that kind of service has all sorts of roadblocks in front of it. What are the barriers? We've seen them already, really, but let me just point them out in maybe a different way of saying it. But number one, unbelieving hatred of God. I don't want to mince words on this one. Not truly loving God. Unbelief. Wickedness. And by the way, unbelievers are not going to steward the gospel and gospel resources for gospel purposes. You can give that up right now. That's not going to happen. The unregenerate cannot do these things. So don't expect unbelievers to live like believers. We put them to the standard. and No, believers are called to live like this. What you do with unbelievers is you call them to repentance and faith. This is what the Bible teaches us. Preach the gospel to them. Call them to repentance and and faith. There will be true and false servants in the gathered professing church until Jesus comes back. And the church tolerates people who fake it. And Look, only God knows who really knows Christ, right? The jury is out on all of us. You can have assurance of salvation. You have eternal security. But seriously, the Bible teaches a long obedience in the same direction. The Bible doesn't teach a one-time profession of faith with no fruit. That's unbiblical. The church will, will, will basically roll out the red carpet for people who really don't walk with God. You want to love all people, but you do not want to coddle people, people's unbelief. There was a story of a new lawyer who was hanging out his own shingle and he set up his office and he had everything ready and he's waiting for the first customer and the first customer walks into the office. And the lawyer, as he's seeing the, person, the man come up, he picks the phone up and starts a, a, uh, a pretend conversation with the president. Well, yes, sir, uh, yeah, I think you should do that. Yes, you should take my advice and this and that and so on. And the man is just patiently waiting for him to finish. 
Finally, the lawyer's done with the call. He hangs up and he says, may I help you? He says, yes, I'm here to hook up the phones. <laughs> you see, some people are pretending, you know, the lights are on, but nobody's home. There's unbelieving hatred of God, and it, 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 it's masked. Secondly, and these all really run together, but the, uh, the slippery slope of greed and laziness and strife. This servant was called slothful and worthless and wicked. There's a greediness inherent in that. There's, there's a causing of strife. He, he basically started an argument with the master, accusing him. Believers are to act differently. Philippians 2 says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Look not only to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Have this mind in you, which is in Christ Jesus. Humbled himself to the point of death. And then another barrier is what I call the selfie syndrome. You know, our selfishness multiplies like gremlins, doesn't it? I, 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 me, 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 selfishness, idolizing ourselves, always looking at ourselves in the mirror, the world revolves around us. We are called in Christ to forget about ourselves. You're important, but not that important. Matthew 23, 11, Jesus said, the greatest among you will be your servant. The lowest, the least, the one most willing. Let's say today you're a believer and you're like, okay, so I want to grow more in Christ-honoring service. I, I want to do this with all my heart. How, how, do I, how do I faithfully work for Christ as I watch and wait for his return? How do I do this? Well, let's just tag on to what I was just talking about. Number one, forget about your rights and your needs and your boundaries. We believed all sorts of things that we should do to protect ourselves. Jesus says, deny yourself. Basically, repudiate yourself. This is about the kingdom of God in Christ. And I do believe we've gone overboard as a society and we bought into it as a church, as the church of Jesus. Do you know that now we provide safe spaces for college students who might find certain comments troubling or triggering? A place to recuperate, rooms equipped with Cookies and coloring books and bubbles and Play-Doh and calming music and pillows and blankets and videos of frolicking puppies. I'm sorry, but that sounds like a really nice kindergarten room. We need to grow up. If you're a Christian, Jesus is your safe space. Run to him for refuge. So forget about your rights and needs and boundaries. You serve at the pleasure and prerogative of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And, and the word here used in this parable and really throughout the whole New Testament is servant. You notice? Now most English versions have, will translate the Greek word that's doulos, it, servant or bond servant. Okay? The best translation is slave. Slave, no rights. And the New Testament writers called themselves slaves of Christ. James, Peter, Jude, John, all identify themselves as slaves of Christ. Paul does it too. He does it in Romans, 1 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And what you need to understand is that serving Christ is slavery to Christ. Christ's honoring service is, is self-forgetting sacrifice. 
So first and foremost, if you want to grow in Christ-honoring service, is forget about your rights and your needs and your, dare I say, your boundaries. Number two, you have been given responsibility by God. You've been given gospel privileges and responsibilities, so, but don't focus on your own abilities. We do this so often, don't we? It's, oh, what's my spiritual gift and what should I do? Don't focus on your abilities, but on your responsibility for what you do with the gospel long term. This is not just about spiritual gifts. This is responding to the gospel or not and living accordingly over the long term. Again, not about a one-time profession of faith with no fruit. Albert Einstein has a word for us here. Man must cease attributing his problems to his environment and learn again to exercise his will, his personal responsibility. We believe completely in the sovereignty of God, and every time you see the sovereignty of God in Scripture, you're going to find man's responsibility to God trailing very closely. Responsibility, humbly and kindly serving Jesus with the gracious gifts he grants you, which is a wonder to behold, by the way, when that is going on. It's a merciful gift from God. So, don't focus on your abilities, but on your responsibility for what you do with the gospel long term. Third, remember that Christ's servants are busy serving his purposes, so get busy. As a believer, get busy and stay busy for Jesus because that's your job. If you're employed right now, your employer's not paying you to coast. Now, what, notice in this parable that as soon as the master left, they got to, get, got to work at once. Notice that? Immediately. Find something to do. But we focus on the gifts, right? Oh, what should I do? I, I'm going to just wait it out a little bit. And God wants you to focus on him and, and just live under his lordship. Romans 12 talks about serving the Lord. Okay? Psalm 100, verse 2, talks about serving the Lord with gladness. It's, this, it's a... It's a it's a living under the lordship of Christ that is focused so that when you get to Colossians 3.23, which is the context of a slave and a master or an employee, employer, it says, whatever you do, work it out with all your heart, knowing that you're serving the Lord, not man. It changes your whole perspective. Do it from the heart. And you might say today, well, I want to serve Jesus with my whole heart, okay? What can I do? Some of you are doing a lot and like, don't do anymore, just just do what you do. Some people are, are doing like nothing and they're like, I don't know. Someday I will figure it out. Well, let me just say, how can you serve Jesus? The sky's the limit because you have limited, limitless resources in Christ. So you have limitless opportunities. Pretty much the only thing you can't do as a believer and serve Jesus at the same time is sin. If you want to get a handhold on this, just think with me about the values we've been looking at over the past four or five weeks. We looked at God-centered worship. You want to serve Jesus? Surrender your will to God. You worship Jesus as you surrender your will to God. Christ-centered preaching. You want to serve Jesus? Proclaim the word of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. Talked about God-dependent prayer. You want to worship Jesus and serve Jesus? Carry on an ongoing conversation with God. You can serve Jesus by doing that. We talked about gospel-changed relationships. We can serve Jesus by living your unity in Christ and stop letting wedges fester between you and other people. 
We're talking about Christ-honoring service. This is self-forgetting sacrifice until Christ returns. And it starts in your heart. It flows out into your home and into the public square and to the ends of the earth. So that the boardroom and the living room and the schoolroom and the soccer field are impacted. I'm encouraged greatly when I hear of people uh, from, from Grace making a difference beyond these walls. Where you impact neighborhoods and nations for Christ in some you know, micro way based on the macro purposes of God. Where you invest in other people and spearhead efforts to bless. It's your faith in action. And it's however God has wired you and whatever he's given you to do, be that being a musician or a server or a custodian or a student or a lawyer or a doctor or a policeman or a firefighter or an engineer or a politician, manager or a customer service representative. Maybe you're a CPA or a CEO or a CFO or a UFO. Maybe you're a retiree and you're like, well, I'm done. No, you're not. If you're a believer, you need to be worshiping and serving Jesus until he returns. Maybe you're a retiree. Maybe you're unemployed. Maybe you won't work. Then you don't get to eat. You won't have any money to eat. Maybe you're a friend. Maybe you're a neighbor or a husband or a wife or a brother or a sister or a son or a daughter. By the way, if you're a son or a daughter, job number two is honor and obey your parents if you're living in their home. If you're outside the home and you're on your own, honor your father and mother. Let's say you're a grandparent. Serve Jesus. Whatever God is giving you to do. My calling and mission as a pastor is to remind you of, of neglected biblical truths and practices. Things that we miss. One biggie, and it's Father's Day, so how about men leading their households? One of the best ways a man can serve is to lead his family by serving them. Serve Jesus, men, by leading your family and serving them. Lay down your life for them. Give them what they need. What do they need? They need God's word and they need you. They need kindness and gentleness and encouragement. They, they need you not just to serve them breakfast in bed, but that's a good thing to do. They need you to serve up the word of God to them. Open the Bible with them humbly. Open your heart to them as you pray together. Read the, the, the word. Pray together. Trust God together. Live it in word and deed. Basically, do what you do as a believer with the people you live with. Otherwise, you're going to find you don't get a lot of traction in serving Jesus because it's all about going here or there or everywhere and not attending to those first relationships. Called to be a servant leader, men. Not lording it over, not demanding, but gently and firmly leading and guiding under God. Got it? Thumbs up? Are you good? Somebody say amen. amen. My goodness gracious. <laughs> Everyone. 1 Peter 4.10. Use whatever gifts you've been given to, to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Now let's just say today, you're like, but, but hold on. I'm confused. I'm stuck. I'm directionless. I'm fruitless. I can't see any fruit. Well, go to John 15, 16, and you'll notice that Jesus said, I didn't, you, by the way, here's what it says. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will remain. And, and today you might be saying, but I am dry. 
And I guess you could ask yourself this question. What am I working for? For example, some of us go on missions trips, and a missions trip is much more exciting than mundane life. But when you go on a missions trip and you're not living serving Jesus in your mundane life, you're going to do the same thing on a missions trip. Maybe it will affect your mundane life when you get back, but maybe not. Whatever you do, do with all your might. I like how George Herbert said this, kind of in old, in old terminology, but a servant with this clause makes drudgery divine who sweeps a room as for thy laws makes that and the action fine. So you're sweeping. You're sweeping. You're using a dustpan. You can do that to serve Jesus. Be willing to do whatever it takes. Stay busy in the Lord's service. Stay busy because of what Jesus did and what he does and what he's going to do. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You just got to stay on point. You got to redeem the time. Don't squander the opportunity right in front of you because you're waiting for what's next. Don't wait so long you missed the bus. I'm not a surfer. I wish I was, but I used to boogie board a lot. But if you wait for the perfect wave too long, it will go flat. Don't get frozen in deliberation. Do the next right thing. What good is God prompting you to do? God is going to bring it to fruition, give you fruit as you engage in that. Paul prayed for the believers in Thessalonica. He says, 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12, we always pray for you, that God would make you worthy of his calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and every work of faith by his power. The name of the Lord Jesus would be glorified. So don't stress, just serve. Get busy and stay busy. It's your job as a believer. Two more things and then we'll be done. Unbelievers take selfish advantage of Christ's absence, so, so do not take advantage of Christ's absence for selfish advantage. Or you might be unmasked as an imposter. Remember the, the, the parable, I made more versus I hid what you gave me. And, and, and the master saying you should have been more resourceful. Because an accounting of your stewardship of your gospel privileges could be required at any time, without notice. Your true allegiance is gonna be exposed you have the freedom to choose which way to go, but you need to be doing it under the guidelines of biblical principles. The question you have to ask yourself is, is my compass set correctly? Working from Jesus or myself? 2011, 12 people died as a plane and a cloud slammed into the side of a mountain. Faulty compass. Same year, death by GPS in the desert. A mom and six-year-old son lost in Death Valley, trusted an inaccurate GPS unit. Son died. Believer, God's word is your compass. It never leads you astray. Stick to it. And then, we must go here, lastly. Stewardship has consequences, right? Judgment is coming, right? So you need to realize the time for settling accounts will arrive unannounced. You're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, or you're going to hear, wicked, slothful, worthless servant. 
The final part of this chapter we're in here, in chapter 25 of Matthew, is about final judgment. It's very solemn. It tells us what's going to happen at Christ's return, how he's going to come in glory. Now, his first appearance was in obscurity. Second will be in glory. He will separate the nations. There will be judgment. When he comes, a separation will take place. God is going to discern people. Matthew 25, 31 to 33 says, When the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations. He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right, the goats on his left. And he's going to bring his people into the presence of God. And he's going to banish the wicked into eternal fire. And the king is the final judge. And he has the final word. And he will not be mocked in his ultimate review of your life. And heaven is real and so is hell. And where are you headed? You need to know this. You can be judged on your work, not someone else's. Inspect your own. To your own master, you'll stand or fall. Jesus is the one who saves from sin and death and hell, so you need to run to him for refuge right this very moment. A.W. Pink said, so many are fatally deceived. Millions who wish to escape the lake of fire who have no desire to be delivered from their carnality and worldliness. That's why we all need to examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. We serve Jesus who served by laying down his life for us. Matthew 20, 28, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what you need to think about right now in your life is that I have a temporary full-time job as a Christian until Christ returns with eternal benefits, by the way. There were rewards promised for believers after a life of faithful service. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, I kept the faith. There is laid up for me a crown of righteousness. The Lord, the righteous judge, will reward to me on that day, not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. Your service here is joy in Jesus. If you're faithful here, you'll have much there. Eternity will be a time of serving Jesus. More responsibility, more privilege, rewards for believers are greater opportunities for service. Different assignments here, different assignments there. And believer, you think about serving Jesus, you're not going to know if you got it all right before Christ's return. Really, it'll be at Christ's return that you'll know. There will be indicators, but we cannot control this process. If we could, we'd ruin it. We need to steward God's resources wisely with an eye to his revealed purposes in Christ, very clearly spelled out in macro umbrella terms in the word. We've got to lead people to Christ and growth in him and worship Jesus in all of life. Our task is to wisely discern the micro use of resources, keeping in mind the macro plan of God. Finally, God owns it all. He owns it all. This is not our rodeo. <laughs> this is his gig. He calls us to join in his cause, giving responsibility as stewards. It's like the $20,000 playground I once received for free from the Irvine Company. True story. Mid-90s at my former church, a neighbor's association refused to install uh, something that had already been granted, and they offered it to us. And we took it as a gift from God to steward wisely to bless other people. And we welcomed the neighbors to use it. And we put up a sign. Some people took issue with our sign, but here's what the sign read. The Lord's Playground, received as a gracious gift, used at your own risk under adult supervision. <laughs> and I got to tell you, that is exactly our calling as a body of believers. 
is what Matthew 25, 14 to 30 is all about. This is all the Lord's. We've received it as a gracious gift. We use it at our own risk under adult supervision. We are servants left to look after our master's property in the absence of our master. We've been left to live wisely while Jesus is absent from us. But guess what? Our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is with us always. Always. So use God's gift for his glory and others' good until Christ returns. Whether it's sooner or later than you think, just be ready for that day. Amen? Well, let us pray. Lord, thank you that we have the privilege to faithfully work for Christ as we watch and wait for his return. Thank you, Lord, that you turned our hearts to you from idols to serve you, the living and true God, and to wait for Jesus from heaven whom you raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Thank you. We praise you. May we be working and ready for your return. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.